Now, perhaps some of you uh, remember a show that debuted uh, some 50 years ago called The Twilight Zone. <laughs> uh, it was a science fiction anthology uh, series that often explored themes of human nature, the supernatural, and the unexplained. And often it ended with a plot twist uh, that would reveal or explain uh, the bizarre circumstances surrounding the plot of the show. Uh, Now, the very first episode that was aired was a pilot episode called Where Is Everybody? And in this story, an Air Force pilot finds himself walking on the side of a dirt road. Uh, And he has no memory of who he is or how he got there. Now, as he walks down this dirt road, uh, he comes across, eventually he comes across a a small town, and it's empty. There's no one to be found. And then at one point, his ear captures the sound of a jukebox playing in a a nearby diner. And those who who don't remember what a jukebox is, it's, it's a box that used to be in diners that would play music. You'd go over and you would select a song, and it would have a little album that would come out, and then it would put the album in, and it would play the selected song. Uh, very, very lo-fi uh, for our high, high-tech youth. So he goes into the diner, and he's hoping to find somebody, anybody. The diner is empty as well. And he begins to wander around town, and he realizes that it's completely empty. And he begins to panic. Everyone has seemed to disappear, and he is all alone. Eventually, he walks into a, a shop, and it's a bookstore, and he finds a book. It's called The Last Man on Earth. And it's the unsettling reality begins to creep in his mind that maybe he is the last man on earth. Maybe he is truly alone. Now, as evening comes, and the sun, sun goes down, a glimmer of light captures his eye. And he sees a nearby movie theater, and the marquee lights that are on the movie theater, they light up. And he begins to experience again maybe the hope that perhaps that he will find someone, anyone, over at this movie theater. And he goes into the the movie theater, and he finds that it is empty. And then suddenly the projector comes on, and the movie starts playing. So he runs up into the projection booth to find no one there. Frustrated and panicked, he runs outside and he frantically walks over and starts to press the pedestrian crosswalk signal, screaming for help. Now in the usual Twilight Zone fashion, the plot twist reveals that the crosswalk button is actually a panic button. And the airman is in an isolation chamber where he's the subject of an experiment that is being observed by scientists. The experiment was designed to determine his fitness for a potential astronaut for a mission to the moon. A mission that would require him to be all alone in isolation for a very long time. And the town that he was seeing was a result of hallucinations that he was experiencing from sensory deprivation. Now the story is hitting on a very particular point about human nature. Isolation is not something that we can deal with very well. And it's certainly not healthy for us. Loneliness is something that people dread. And even though we might sometimes desire aloneness, which is private time to ourselves, we do not do well with loneliness. The constant separation and disconnectedness from other people. 
Even the grouchiest, non-personable person needs to be in contact with other people from time to time. And there's a good reason for that. We were created that way. God has created us as relational beings. Relationships are important to us. In fact, relationships are the most important thing in our lives. A relationship with God and our relationships with others. Just for a moment, I want us to imagine being the last person on earth. All of the wealth, the goods of the world, wouldn't be enough to satisfy the extreme loneliness we would experience. It's true. Even if you think that it would be nice to have the whole world to yourself, to do whatever you wanted, with no one else to get in the way, any endeavor you would engage in would be empty. Because it would all be just you. There would be no experience that would bring any joy. There would be no achievement worth striving for if there were only, truly, no one else to share that experience or to share that joy with other than yourself. God created us as relational beings. Genesis 1 tells us that we were created in the image of God. Meaning we were created to have dominion over the earth. And we were created with an intellect, a mind, and an emotional center, and a will. And God is a relational being. The eternal relationship in the Trinity is the greatest, most loving relationship of all. And we were created also as relational beings to have a relationship with God. But not only with God. In Genesis 2.18 we read... That God said after creating the man and placing him in the garden, it is not good that man be alone. So God created a companion for us, suitable for us. And in the world of Genesis 2, harmony and peace existed in our relationship with God and with our relationship with each other. Now if Genesis 2 shows the harmony of relationships with God and man, Genesis 3 shows the ultimate breakdown in all relationships. Genesis 3 is the beginning of betrayal of God and each other. Excuses and blame shifting ensued. And ever since the fall, relationships have been a mess. They are strained, difficult, and fragile, and often exhausting. Yet they are essential. They are rewarding. They're amazing. And they're the most cherished thing that we have. And sin is the culprit. We're all sinners and our relationships have difficulties because of sin. This is true of both of our relationship with God and our relationship with each other. And I think the same kinds of sins plagues our relationship with God and with man and for very similar reasons. Now with God... It primarily is out of disobedience to his law. And this covers everything. And with man, it's out of selfishness. But I think they share this in common. Pride and idolatry. You can trace just about every sin you commit against God and against each other down to pride and idolatry. We always want to do things according to our own liking, in our own opinion, and in our own wisdom. We are always like our own God. 
with a natural tendency to, to serve self before serving God and other people. We think it would be nice to get everyone out of the way, including God, so that we can have things the way that we like it and do the things that we want to do. But once you permanently remove other people and God, suddenly all meaning is lost. All those things that we want to do lose its luster and it exposes our idolatry. This is the great foolishness of mankind. We desire to have relationships, intimate relationships with other people. We know that they are important to us. We want them to always recognize us and validate us. And everything would be just great if everyone would just agree with me and do things my way. Oh, but don't walk away and get mad when I insist on it. I still want you to be around and be my neighbor and my companion to validate me. So I think that shows that our relationships are extremely important because of our sin, but they are messy as well. Now, since we do live in a post-Genesis 3 world, having skills and understanding how to navigate our often messy relationships is extremely important. And the loving kindness of God has provided for us the perfect book in how to understand our relationships with God and with other people, the Bible. And in the Bible, we find how we can have restored relationship with God and how important having relationships with God is in having good, healthy relationships with other people. Now, over the past couple of weeks, we've started a, a new study in the book of Proverbs. And the book of Proverbs is full of practical wisdom from God on how to navigate life. And among the many topics that are covered in the book of Proverbs, we find wisdom for our relationships, both with God and with others. So if you haven't already, would you please turn in your Bibles to the book of Proverbs, chapter 3. Proverbs, chapter 3. Now, as you're finding your way to, the, to Proverbs chapter 3, I just want to touch on a, a couple of brief reminders about the book of Proverbs as a whole. Uh, first, Proverbs is the wisdom of Jesus. When we read the Proverbs, we are to understand them as the wisdom of Jesus. And it is a gift for us to be able to walk in wisdom in the way that Jesus walked. The other thing that we need to understand is that the first nine chapters are a primer for how to understand the whole book. And these nine chapters contain several discourses on the wisdom of God. And these discourses take a different form than the short, single bits of advice and wisdom that we usually associate with a proverb. These discourses in the first nine chapters are given as poetry. And some of them are rendered as instructional discourses that show wisdom being given from a father to a son. He's passing on wisdom to his son. And some of them are speeches that are poetic, and they were given as poems, which sometimes depict the character wisdom personified as a woman calling out to, to all who would hear her and intimately embrace the wisdom that is from God. And so today we're going to look at another one of these discourses that teaches wisdom for our relationships with God and man. And what I want us to see this morning is that a relationship with Jesus, the wisdom of Jesus is the foundation of all healthy, godly relationships. So Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1. Uh, now the first thing that I want us to, to see is how the beginning of this discourse sets the very foundation for all relationships. Uh, verse 1 begins, look with me, it begins, My son, 
This is a father giving wisdom to his son. And he opens with, my son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. This is a father lovingly instructing his son and almost pleading with him to hold what he is about to teach him close to his heart because it's going to be essential for navigating his relationships in life. Verse 2, it says, For length of days and years of your life and peace they will add to you. Now what parent wouldn't want that for their child? What we see right from these opening verses is the loving relationship between a father and his son and his desire for his son to benefit through the wisdom of Jesus. And was implied with the do not forget my teaching is that this is something that is needed to be remembered at all times. Even to the point of memorizing it and to keep it close to your heart. Verses 3 and 4 really open up exactly what is to be held close to the heart. Verse 3 says, let steadfast love and faithfulness not forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And I think it's so important for us to grasp what's being driven at when using the phrase steadfast love and faithfulness. This isn't just some random phrase that just sounded nice. There's something specific that is being communicated. These are the attributes that reflect the very character of God. This is the way God describes himself in the wilderness generation. In Exodus 34, 6 and 7, listen to how he describes himself. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Now he isn't saying to his son, make sure you show steadfast love and faithfulness. No, he's saying, let it not forsake you. In other words, abide in the steadfast love and faithfulness of God. Clothe yourself with it. Bind it around your neck. And make sure that it is written on the tablet of your heart. Remember that abiding in the one who forgives transgression and sin. And he goes on, so, meaning, for this reason, this is verse 4, look with me in verse 4. So, you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. And I think this is what he's getting at, is the key in navigating healthy relationships with God and man. This is what I'm getting at. Uh, Before we start feeling like this is a formula for finding favor and success with everybody, we must remember that we don't always abide in the steadfast love of God. We aren't always faithful. As New Testament Christians, abiding in steadfast love and faithfulness is abiding in the finished work of Jesus Christ. He is the one that learned perfect wisdom and obedience in the way that we never could. Our reputations are marred by sin and our success rates with God and man are dismal. The steadfast love and faithfulness of God must clothe us and bind our hearts. And that is through faith in Jesus. It is the very foundation of all our success in our relationship with God and man. When our hearts are tuned correctly with Jesus, we have peace in our relationship with God, and harmony in our relationships with man. 
Now, I think the, the next several verses here, verses 5 through 12, give us the wisdom in a relationship with God. And they show us the wisdom in trusting God. And here, I believe what we are being told is that a relationship with God is that he is like a father to us. And in verse 5, he calls us to trust him with all our heart like a father. And this is verse 5, look with me. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. He instructs us in his wisdom and tells us not to trust in our own understanding. Why? Because he knows that as children we are sinful and foolish and need instruction. We're easily deceived and have a strong tendency to act selfishly and go down the crooked path. And like a good father, he guides us and sets our path straight. Look with me at verse 6. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. As we are listening to him and trusting and receiving his instruction, being teachable, he guides our steps in the direction that we should go. But we have to trust him and depend on his good instruction. Otherwise, we end up in the wrong path following after our own agenda and taking counsel in our own hearts. And where does that get us? It gets in a state of broken relationships and heartbreak. And ultimately, it sends us down the path of wickedness. And we have to be instructed to turn away from evil. That's why verse 7, it says, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. And when we do that and listen to the wise, loving Father in heaven, we see in verse 8, it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment refreshment to your bones. Ultimately, trusting in God with all your heart means trusting in his son, Jesus. And the healing that we get through him affects the whole person. Like the valley of dry bones in Ezekiel 37, he causes us to live again through his son and the outward person and our love and affection for Christ and his people, and the healing of our flesh and the refreshment of dried bones that form a new person in Christ with a healed, regenerated heart. This trust and guidance in the wisdom of God is essential because it keeps us from going after our own ideas and following some cleverly devised plan for self-help. It keeps us focused and dependent on him to receive his instruction. And that instruction and guidance leads us to salvation. And also, like a good father, he provides for us. Verses 9 and 10 show us that our love for God produces a heart that is sacrificial, and being faithful to the Lord will not leave us wanting. Verses 9 and 10 read, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with your first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. He provides an abundance for us. And we are to honor him with that abundance. But we have to be careful that we don't stumble into a prosperity gospel with this. We don't want to see this as a wealth buys blessing from God. All the wealth that we have is from him. And to acknowledge this is to keep us humble. We should not forget. We should not get too attached to the material things in this world that takes us our focus away from delighting in him 
and from delighting in his loving provision for us. And there's a reminder for that to keep us humble and that our dependence is from him. This was an agrarian culture. They, they made their living off the crops. And two of the main crops that are, that are mentioned here, the barns filled, assuming with grain, but also the vats bursting with wine. Abundance so plentiful, they are bursting and overflowing. And as love overflows in us, even increasing and sustaining our every need. And our hearts should overflow with an abundance and thankfulness to a father who faithfully provides. And then finally, as our heavenly father, he corrects us and disciplines us. And we would do well in heeding this wisdom uh, concerning our relationship with God. Uh, Verses 11 and 12 shows us that the one who loves us is the one who disciplines us. Read with me in verses 11 and 12. We read, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. And being in that relationship with him, we are instructed to not despise his discipline. Now, I think we have to be reminded and instructed because I think it's an area where we tend to grow bitter and think that it's a sign that he does not love us because he's allowing things to happen in our life that are painful. And the Lord does discipline us from time to time with things that are sometimes very painful. But we're experiencing these things because in his loving wisdom, he desires to teach us and instruct us. And because it is the wisdom of God, we need to receive that discipline as something that is best for us. We all need discipline just like our children. And they don't always agree with it and welcome it when it comes. But it's a sign of an attentive and loving parent. It's the mark of our God's delight in us. And that we are in a healthy relationship with him. Now, not only is our relationship with God like a father through his wisdom and instructing us and providing for us and disciplining us, but he also blesses. Look with me at verses 13 through 20. We see amazing blessing in the wisdom of God. Look with me. This is verses 13 through 15. We read, blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels. and Nothing you desire can compare with her. It's hard to read this text and not come away with the impression of the amazing value of the wisdom of God. We see that it's more profitable than silver and gold. It's more precious than jewels. In fact, the text says that there is nothing you desire that can compare to her. I am heartbroken that there are so many people in this world who would chase after useless things and try to find that one thing that most satisfies them, that is most precious to them, but they will never open the Bible or listen to a sermon and find a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm saddened that billions will pass through life on this earth seeking the one thing to bring them delight, and they will never have it because they refuse to take hold of the wisdom of God. Their own pride that moves them to cling to their own understanding and their own idolatry wanting them to be the center of the universe gets in the way. 
Let your desire be for the wisdom of God. Let it have an unparalleled priority in your life. And the reasons for this are spelled out in the preceding verses, in verses 16 through 18. Read along with me. We see here, long life is in her right hand, and her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are the ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay a hold of her. Those who hold fast are called blessed. I can't help but notice the language here used in verse 18. And we see that phrase, the tree of life. The flourishing tree of life. Healthy and growing. And for me, when I, when I was reading this, it echoes Psalm 1. It states that the one who delights in the law of the Lord, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. What an amazing picture of our relationship with God. Now in the Christian life, we should experience peace to some degree. It may not be every second of every day, but it will be there. It will be on our hearts and the calm assurance of our salvation as we rest peacefully in a relationship with God through faith in Jesus. And we should also experience growth. We should see the blessings of the wisdom of God growing us and bearing fruit in our lives. Now, if we aren't experiencing peace in our hearts and there's no, un, there's no recognizable fruit in our lives, if there's no growth, then we need to ask ourselves, how is my relationship with Jesus? Am I cultivating my relationship with him and embracing his wisdom? All these verses are designed to help us to see the precious value of the wisdom of Jesus and to embrace it. That show us the blessing of being in a relationship with God and taking a hold of his wisdom so that it becomes our guiding light in a way that it directs our life. We see in verse 17, we see all her paths are peace. Now this word path comes up a lot in wisdom literature in the Bible. Um, we see it a lot in the Psalms too. And in fact, uh, it's used in many other places in the Bible. Um, and we saw it earlier uh, here in chapter 3 and verse 6. Look with me at, at verse 6 again. We read, in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Now the path is used as an illustration in the way that we walk in life. It's the guiding principles that we follow to navigate life. It acts as the guide to direct our footsteps. And shows us the way so that we do not wander off the path. Now here in verse 6, the straight path is the path of the righteous. And so the wisdom of Jesus is telling us, in all your ways acknowledge him, and you will be on the path of the righteous. And it says, in all your ways. That's pretty comprehensive in your life. All your ways. Anyone who tells you that you can be a Christian just by reading the Bible every once in a while, or going to church occasionally, or having said a prayer once, or even if they've just been baptized at one time, and that's all you need, doesn't understand the full impact of acknowledging God in all your ways. 
Acknowledging God in all your ways, first and foremost, foremost, means that you have a heart that truly trusts and fully rests in salvation in the Lord Jesus, and that you desire to have an intimate relationship with him. It means that you believe him when he tells you to turn away from trusting in yourself and not leaning on your own wisdom. It means that you accept and even embrace his disciplinary wisdom, guiding and correcting you on the path of righteousness. It touches every aspect of your life, particularly your relationship with God through Jesus and your relationship with others. This point is so important. We're reminded about this again in verses 21 through 26. Read with me. Verse 21. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. In other words, grab a hold of the wisdom of God and let it guide you in making good decisions. Continue in verse 22. And they will be a life for your soul, an adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. We will be secure when we walk in the path of righteousness and when we lie down and sleep. When we are sleeping, we are the most vulnerable. We aren't conscious of what approaches. And the worry and fear of life choices and life surprises can keep us awake at night. And it's not always just someone that's lurking downstairs in my house. It's all of life's difficulties. It's financial difficulties. It's work difficulties. It's child-rearing difficulties. It's relationship difficulties. But what this is getting at is that our relationship with the Lord is such that when we fully trust him and let his wisdom guide us, when we're considering the wisdom of the Lord and are letting it guide our path, we are able to cast all of our anxieties and fears on the sovereign God who created the universe. And a God that's powerful enough to bring the whole universe into existence is wise enough to bring peace and order into your life. That's why verses 19 and 20 show us the greatness and the power of wisdom in creation. Look with me real quick. Verses 19 and 20 say, The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. And the God who created the world is telling us, do not be afraid. Verses 25 and 26. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or the ruin of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence. And will keep your foot from being caught. In our relationship with God through Jesus, we can trust him and rest in his sovereign strength to carry us and guide us. Now, some of you might be thinking, uh, this is a series on Proverbs. Uh, When are we going to get into the practical pieces of wisdom in Proverbs? Uh, Well, remember, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Uh, The foundation needs to be set. And there are reasons why Proverbs takes nine chapters talking about our relationship with God before we can get into the practical wisdom for life. Because if we don't have the relationship with, with, right with God, all of our other relationships won't be right. 
It's so crucial to understand how all relationships relate to our relationship with Jesus. Our relationship with Jesus through the wisdom of Jesus is the foundation of all healthy, godly relationships. Only by embracing the wisdom of Christ in an intimate way in your life can put you on a path of peace. And our relationship with Christ is the very foundation of life and peace with God. It's the starting place. If our relationship with Christ isn't healthy, all other relationships will suffer in one way or another. Now, on this side of glory and this earthly life, our relationships are never going to be 100% trouble-free. That is why Jesus is greatly to be praised. He is perfect in all his relationships. And by clinging to him, we have forgiveness when we fail. And by listening to his wisdom, we have instruction to help each of us grow. Now, Jesus is the model for all relationships. And the wisdom of Jesus is on full display in the gospel narratives. In the gospel, we see Jesus' relationship with God the Father in perfect obedience. And he shows us that we need to be completely dependent on him for all things. But we also see how Jesus succeeds in his relationships with man. Not only did Jesus model our relationship with God, but he also in how to navigate our relationships with sinful man. Now in Proverbs 3, it first shows us that our dependent relationship on God before it goes on and gives us wisdom with dealing with man. That's basically the design of the Bible. God first, then man. That's the design in the Ten Commandments. It's the design in the book of Proverbs, and it's the design of Proverbs 3. And we do get some practical wisdom for our relationships with each other. Look with me at verses 27 through 32. Now, the first thing that I want us to notice is the repetition of the phrase, do not. As you look down the text, you see a series of statements, do not, do not, do not, do not. And the do not phrase also appears in a lot of other places throughout Proverbs. And we've actually come across several so far on our text this morning. Do not forget. Do not lean on your own understanding. Do not despise the discipline of the Lord. Do not lose sight. Do not be afraid. We see all these negative do not, do not kind of statements. And the reason for that is simple. We tend to do those things. Because of our sinful nature, left to our own devices, we will follow the path and we will not do those things. We will forget. We will lean on our own understanding. We will despise the correction of the Lord. We will lose sight and we will be afraid. And those things, if we aren't reminded to, to not do those things, will negatively affect our relationship with God. Now, in the same way, verses 27 through 32 has a series of do not statements because the things will negatively affect our relationship with man. And the first one is in verse 27 and 28. Look with me, it says, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. Do not withhold good. 
Now, one of the things that will certainly strain a relationship is having it be a one-way relationship. Uh, We've all been in those relationships where one person is always asking and demanding, but never willing to sacrifice. Never willing to give in return. There's always something more important on this particular day that just prevents them from doing it. And they say, well, if it were any other day, I would. But come back tomorrow, and then I might be able to do it. This is what it's getting at. Do not withhold good from someone who has also been good to you. You see, because it's an inconvenience for them. But loving, healthy relationships don't let convenience into the equation. There are oftentimes that we are asked to do things and they interrupt our plans and are very inconvenient for us. But do not withhold the good. What part of convenience was there when Jesus left the glory of his Father and the adoration of angels and the crown of glory and humbled himself to live among us? What part of convenience was there when he willingly submitted himself to the authority of man and allowed us to crucify him? He did not withhold good from us, even in the reality that we don't deserve it. He does good to us, even today. When a neighbor or a brother or a sister or a friend comes asking for a favor, and you're the one that always is saying, come again tomorrow, and then I'll give it, because it's inconvenient for you. And that's how you're treating your relationship with them. Don't be surprised when you find your relationships with others strained. The Christian models the relationship with others in the manner of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you find yourself selfishly acting in a one-way relationship, you have to ask yourself, what's going on in my heart? What is that stemming from? How is my relationship with Jesus? Am I resting in his grace? Am I letting his love overwhelm me? Am I thankful in my heart for the sacrifice that he made for me so that I can have a restored relationship with God? So that I can have the blessings of God rain down on my life? Do not withhold good when it is in your power to do it. But we don't just have to be reminded to love our neighbors and not withhold good. We have to be reminded to not go on to the offensive against them. Look with me at verse 29. It says, do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. It takes a lot of patience and trust to live so close in proximity with one another. If we couldn't trust our neighbors, we would be living a very difficult life. And so that trust for us is very important. And a lot of damage can be done to your relationship with others simply in the way that you speak to them. Listen to Proverbs 11. This is Proverbs 11, verses 12 and 13. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. But he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps the thing covered. You do not need to go and reveal every little detail about your neighbor who annoys you to other neighbors. And we're going to talk a little bit more about this in a few weeks when we come to the subject of the tongue. Uh, 
But revealing personal things about someone is the surest way of losing trust with a friend and a neighbor. And there are consequences with planning evil against your neighbor. This is Proverbs 17, verses 13 and 14. It says, If anyone returns evil for good, evil will not depart from his house. The beginning of strife is like letting out water. So quit before the quarrel breaks out. A sure way to disrupt peace in your own household is to disrupt it into someone else's. And once you start a feud with a neighbor, it can escalate into a war that can make both of you miserable. And it soaks every aspect of your life like a flood of water that cannot be stopped. There's enough conflict in this world that you do not need it in your neighborhood. You do not need it in your other relationships. You do not need it with your friends, your brothers and sisters. We all want to live secure in our homes with trusting neighbors. And it's senseless getting in feuds over parked cars or loud music or barking dogs or tree branches that that haven't been trimmed. No matter how right we think we are. Now again, we have to ask what is going on in our hearts when we start to rail and speak evil and plan evil against our neighbor. Jesus tells us to love our enemies. Jesus told us to be peacemakers. Jesus told us to be good Samaritans to those who may not care for us in return or have even wronged us in the past. The scripture says Jesus When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. That's 1 Peter 2, verses 23. We all need to memorize that one. People plotted and planned evil against Jesus, and even though he did good, but that did not stop him from acting in love and sacrificing himself on their behalf. Even the Apostle Paul plotted and persecuted the church of God. He planned evil against the household of God. But Jesus, in his mercy, forgave him. The reality of Paul's relationship with Christ changed his heart so that he became one of the greatest peacemakers of all time. If our relationship with Jesus is healthy, these things should grow in us, and we should be peacemakers in our neighborhood. Being a peacemaker means that we put aside all arguing and contention. Look at verse 30. We read, do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Now this doesn't mean that we don't argue and contend for the truth. There are always going to be opposition to the gospel. and We must defend it even to the point of some contention. We must always contend for the truth. This is talking about arguing over petty things that we take too personally. This is about taking a disagreement or insult to the next level where your tempers blow up and blows up into something nasty. Consider Proverbs 15, verse 18. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Responding to an insult, an insult or a stinging comment from a friend or a neighbor like an atom bomb does nothing to show the grace of Jesus in your life. And when we are insulted, what harm has really come to you? 
Why not suffer wrong? If we respond graciously to others, even when they say hurtful things to us or about us, it can make all the difference in creating a stronger bond of friendship and it shows the strength of our relationship with Jesus. And it's just wise to do so. Proverbs 19.11 says, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Our Lord Jesus was mocked and insulted, and was called the worst things imaginable. At one point, he was even accused of being the devil. But he did not retaliate when they came to arrest him. He did not call 12 legions of angels down to come destroy his accusers. And even in his humility, he was almost convinced to go free by Pilate. But the sovereign design of redemption wouldn't allow it. Now the last do not that I want to look at contrasts two different ways that one pursues a relationship with their fellow man. And I believe this is the concluding statement that sums up the previous verses, 27 to 32. Look with me at, at verses 31 and 32. We read, this is verse 31, Do not envy a man of violence, and do not choose any of his ways. For the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence. Now the wisdom here is to not choose the way of the violent man. And it tells us not to envy them. Now, why does it tell us not to envy the violent man? Well, I think it's because there's a perception uh, that the man who uses his power and influence, who is contentious, goes about devising evil plans and acts selfishly, uses others, that there's a perception that they get what they want in life. They're able to navigate life and have all the things that please them at the cost of the relationships with other people. And the text clearly tells us where those who choose that violent path stand in their relationship with God. Verse 32 says, For the devious person is an abomination to the Lord. Those who choose violence, the devious person who plots evil, the one who doesn't count the blessing of the wisdom as a gift and chooses evil is an abomination. His relationship with the Lord is non-existent. He's in opposition to God. Now that word abomination is the word that the Lord uses throughout the whole uh, Old Testament to describe the idols that the Israelites would worship. They were detested. They were in complete opposition to to God and who he is. And pride and idolatrous self-worship is the path of the violent, devious man. But the upright is one that is on the path of the righteous, who seeks wisdom and grabs a hold of it, and treasures it as most valuable. They have the blessings of a healthy relationship with him. And that last part of verse 32 says, but the upright are in his confidence. Now, word confidence, the meaning of that word is, is getting at this, is someone who is trusting or is in the good counsel of God. They trust that the wisdom of the Lord is going to guide them to the good things of life, peace, with God through Jesus and relative harmony with man. And I I have to say relative harmony uh, because as followers of Christ, we are going to have enemies. And we will experience persecution no matter how practical wisdom, how much practical wisdom we apply with people. And in those cases, we must pray steadfast 
that they receive the mercy of God and that they have a relationship with Jesus. Now, one last thing before we conclude. Uh, The text says, do not choose any of his ways. Uh, Now, this refers to the path that he has chosen, the path of the violent man. Uh, But I think what else is implied here is the kinds of relationships that they're in. Now, in regards to our relationships, what kinds of relationships should we choose? What does the proverb say about that? Well, we must choose healthy Christian relationships. Ones that employ the wisdom of Jesus to promote the gospel and extend as much grace and compassion to others as he did when he walked the earth. And now in these last few moments, I want to share a few more verses from the Proverbs that guided us in wisdom in the types of relationships that we should seek out. Um, and we should seek out good, healthy Christian relationships. Uh, Proverbs 18.1 warns us to not be isolated. This is Proverbs 18.1. It says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Man was never meant to be alone. But Proverbs 15.31 says, the ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Spending time with other healthy, wise Christians is good for spiritual growth and accountability. If we don't feel that we're growing up for faith, if we feel that we're dry and frustrated in our walk with Christ, we must evaluate how much good time, quality time, am I spending with my brothers and sisters in Christ? Do I avoid these kind of relationships? And if I do, what is that saying about my relationship with Jesus? The closer we draw to Jesus, the more we desire to be like him and to be with others who desire to be like him. We have to evaluate our relationship and pay careful attention to who we are spending our time with. Proverbs 13.20 is clear. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Let me say this. Uh, This just doesn't apply to people that that you're hanging out with. Uh, it also applies to the news feeds that you're listening to. Or the news feeds that you're reading and the podcasts that you're listening to. Uh, the TV shows that you're watching. The general way that we're spending our time. Those things can, can become our companions too. And they influence us. Uh, sometimes for good. A lot of times in rather foolish ways. But more than anything, we must choose the healthiest relationship of all. The friend who sticks closer than a brother. Uh, This is Proverbs 18.24. This is what it reads. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Now, devoting your life to Jesus may cause many of your friends to abandon you. Uh, That was the fear that I had when I became a Christian. I was terrified that if I followed after Jesus, that I would be alone. That there would be no companionship and the loneliness would be unbearable. That I would wander down an empty, lonely street. But what I found is that my relationship with God through Jesus showed me the meaning of true friendship that I never knew. A savior that carries me and saves me and it makes it possible for me to have peace with God. A father that loved me and guides me and provides for me and a spirit that comforts me. But before I could understand any of that, and that loving relationship, 
uh, the Lord had to break the idol and the selfishness of my own pride and allow me to see the wisdom of Christ as the most precious thing in the entire world. And it made me see that the most important relationship with my life, the foundation of all healthy, godly relationships, is my relationship with Jesus Christ. My prayer is that you find your relationship with Jesus the most important relationship in your life. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for being our friend. Thank you, Lord, for how good you are to us. Thank you for your perfect righteousness, for your perfect obedience in ways that we fail even daily. Hour by hour, we can count the failures. But Lord, you are perfect in all things. And because you walked that righteous life that we could never walk, and because you paid the penalty for our sin that we could never pay, Lord, we have life and peace with God through you. Lord, you are holy and righteous and good. And Lord, we desire to be in close fellowship and communion with you. Lord, it is a desire of our hearts to be firmly attached to you and our relationship. Father, you are the sovereign creator of all the universe. By your decree, Lord, you know those whom you will call. The power of your will spoke and the universe came into being. And it's in your power, Lord, if you will it, to save. I pray that if there's anyone in this room that does not know the power, the relationship with you through Jesus, that, Lord, you might be pleased to open their hearts, to grab a hold and embrace the wisdom of Jesus, to know that their greatest relationship that they have is waiting for them in Christ. And that he is a path of peace. Lord, I thank you for the word this morning. I pray, Lord, as we go out this week, Lord, that we would apply these things to our lives, that we would endeavor to be peacemakers with our neighbors. Lord, that we would watch our tongues. Lord, that we would show the grace of Jesus in our lives to all we come across. Lord, you are good. And we pray all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.